good, you are redemptive, you are working, you are king and you are providing. And we pray now that you would open our hearts to what you are doing in the world and what our place in that will be. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn in your New Testaments to Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 17. Luke 10, 1 through 11, and we'll read 17, actually. And I want to begin by asking this question. You know, you think of missions. It's an exciting thing to think about. It's a little bit daunting to think about. Do you ever get overwhelmed a little bit by the idea of missions? I do. I mean, right now in the Middle East, there's an unbelievable spreading oppression against the church. Violent against Christianity. Our embassies are on fire all across the Middle East and the northern part of Africa and some places in Asia. Uh, a lot of that has to do with our country, but a lot of it is also a clash of cultures. And a lot of it simply is we don't want Christianity as well. What do you do with that? What, what, what do you personally do with that? And then there's this growing sense of secularism in our country and, of course, in, in Europe. I mean, there's a, there's a growing number of people right here in Mississippi as well as other places that, that simply don't think that you can really know anything about God for sure. And so it's just a matter of our guess and various spiritualities and and then there is that that secularism that begins to to say well you know all that is true is is what there is in front of us that there is no god there is a rising hostility to classic christianity in our country hey that's okay you know what we've always kind of felt like we're in the majority and we've always been trying to hang on to something guess what we're not so let's don't try to hang on to something. Let's try to love people. Let's try to really be salient. Let's really try to make a difference and put our focuses rather than hanging on to something into seeing God do something through his church in this country. But as you see the secularism you see it in Western Europe, in America, you say, what, what, do I, what can I do about that? And then there's just the vast numbers of people. I walked out of my hotel room a few years ago in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, I've never seen so many people per square inch in my life. If you've, ever, if you've never been to Asia, you've never seen so many people and bicycles and people walk. It's not like here. here people drive and there's highways. And, and I just looked. And this was a country that, you know, was not a very small percentage. Christian, a majority Muslim country. And I'm thinking, wow. And all these people, God cares about all these people. What are we going to do about all these people? And then there's you sitting here this morning thinking about missions from Madison. <laughs> it is a little overwhelming if you really think about it. But our text takes us back to the earthly ministry of Jesus where persecution was a lot more present than it is for us. When persecution was beginning of believers in Jesus Christ was beginning to, to become more hot, where there just weren't that many believers to start with, oh yes, there were multitudes thronging to hear Jesus. 
But there weren't that many people who were following Jesus at this time. And whatever we feel in the sense of being intimidated or overwhelmed about Christ going to all the world, trust me, they felt it even keener than we did, than we do. And what we find this morning from Luke 10 is Jesus just simply has a different view of the world than we do. He has a different view of the message and missions than we do. Jesus teaches us this morning that the kingdom is a harvest looking for hands. The kingdom is a harvest looking for hands. Luke 10, 1, after this, and the this he's speaking of was the sending out of the 12 apostles on their missionary journey, and they had returned. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And, and if a son of peace is there, then your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Wherever you go, enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick and say this to them, the kingdom of God has come very near to you. But whenever you enter a town, they do not receive you. Go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to your feet, we wipe off against you. A, a kind of a Middle Eastern way of saying we're done with you. We wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, the kingdom of God has come near. In verse 17, the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. The kingdom is a harvest. He said to them, verse 2, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. You know, they, they're probably thinking, hey, we, we know that this is important. But how will this, through us, become anything significant? Jesus is persuasive. Yes, Jesus draws the multitudes. Yes, people put their, their trust in Jesus. But will they listen to us? They even turn away from Jesus. In droves, we read in John's Gospel, they turned away from Jesus. In fact, so many of them turned away from Jesus that he turned to the twelve and asked, Will you also leave me? Peter said, but to whom shall we go? For only you have the words of life. And you're sending us? <laughs> yes. Just like you and I feel about our neighbors. 
And the people in our workplace, right? They're going to listen to us. And the people we sit on the sidelines of ball fields with and, and do things with and other places. And Jesus Christ is saying to them and saying to us today, look, it's not a matter of if people will come. But how many, you see. We need to believe that this morning. It's not a matter of your personal persuasion. Yes, we want to be winsome. Yes, we want to be persuasive in the sense of how we live and deliver the message. But finally, this is going to be His kingdom. This is going to be His harvest. Right now, there are so many broken people that God is preparing for the gospel. Right now, in Madison, in Ridgeland, in the greater Jackson area, so many thirsty people, empty people, ready for the message. That's what Jesus is saying. Go out. The harvest is plentiful, overflowing, superabounding. And he goes, and he goes further. He says, there's so many people in this harvest that you can't even harvest them all. You need to pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send out more laborers into the harvest field. Now look, we're talking about at a time when people are turning away from Jesus himself and the gospel is going forward. Jesus sees, of course, the future of salvation going to the ends of the earth. This is the beginning of that. There's so many who are ready, Jesus says. So many who are empty. So many who are parched. So many that will listen to you. You have no clue. You better pray for more people than you to go forward. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, verse 2, to send out laborers into the harvest field. God's still saying that the kingdom is a harvest. Yes, in your neighborhood, the kingdom is a harvest. You say, we say, oh, oh, I know it's a field. And I know we plant seeds. And I know we water the seeds. And like agriculture, I know it takes a long time. And sometimes when you plant the seeds, you get rejected. We understand that the kingdom is a field. We're not sure we believe the kingdom's a harvest. That's the good news to us this morning as we think about the world, as we think about our lives. There are so many people who are just burned over and depressed, bored. Do y'all realize just how many people are so overstimulated with this world that they're bored silly? Do you realize how many people are so bloated on this world that they're thirsting to death for real sustenance? Yes, we will plant seeds. Other scriptures speak of that, right? Yes, we will cultivate. Yes, we will harvest where other people have planted and, 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 and so forth. But Jesus says... We will harvest. When they went out for the first time, they could not believe how many people believed. They could not believe that they could cast out demons in the name of Jesus. They could not believe that Jesus' power was working through them in healing. 
They could not believe that it was not just a field, but a harvest. The Apostle Paul was always amazed when people heard the message of the gospel. For the very first time in these these Gentile lands, you know, the the Roman Empire, and deep in their hearts, there's, there's just this... And look, guys, when God has prepared a hungry soul, there's just this connect right there with the gospel. We see this all over Paul's letters. One of the great places in Acts 17, Paul goes to the university to share the gospel. Paul goes to the seat of skepticism. Paul goes to the place of philosophy of the entire world. The highest academic staff, if you will, of philosophy in the world sat in the Areopagus in Athens to consider all the latest philosophies of the day and they mixed and matched and compared religions and philosophies and sat in judgment over them all. And the Apostle Paul walked right into the College of Professors, stood up and preached the gospel. Some of them said, this guy's an idiot. Others said, we got to hear more about this. And do you know the most amazing thing about Acts 17? The most amazing thing about Acts 17 isn't just that Paul was culturally sensitive. I see that you're religious and you have these altars and here's one to an unknown God. That's incredible. No, the most amazing thing is, is that right there in the text, it says four people believed immediately. Immediately. In the Areopagus. Folks, if people believe immediately in the Areopagus of Athens in the first century, they will believe in your neighborhood in Ridgeland, Mississippi. Be encouraged. God's out ahead of us, you see. This is a beautiful thing. Yes, we will plant seeds, but we will harvest. Look, I know there's a downturn for Christianity in the West. Exploding everywhere, it used to be a downturn. Or we never had come yet. I know that among some of our younger people, there is a spirit of skepticism. But I will tell you, among our younger people, there is also a spirit of belief. And there is a solid core of younger people who want to go deeper, actually, than some of the people in my generations who want their theology straight, want to know God, and want to represent Him in this world. Yes, I know, if you look at the statistics, yes, I know, as you look at the culture, yes, I know, as you see the decline of things, even in the South, we're going to be down to barbecue, football, and sweet tea before it's over, and that's it. So what? It's a harvest field. It's a harvest field. Jesus said, I will build my church. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You know, I know what I speak because when I went off to college, went off to Auburn University in 1980, grew up in the 60s and the 70s, in case you don't remember or you weren't born then, Uh, The 70s were called the me generation, and they weren't called the me generation for nothing. But I went off to Auburn University in 1980 with a secret that nobody knew. I was disillusioned and jaded with life. Being outgoing and being jaded are two different things. And though I was outgoing, I was empty, and you would have never suspected it. 
if you looked at me. You would have never suspected it if you listened to me because I didn't want you to know it. I'm not sure I fully understood it myself. But you would have never suspected that I was so hungry for God's love. So hungry for God's presence. And privately, empty. But I'm going to tell you, I heard the gospel through my now brother-in-law, who's a PCA minister. There's a story there. (laughs) And other people. And the Lord brought me into his kingdom. The beginning of my junior year at Auburn University. The other day I was, I was driving down the road and I was listening to one of the Christian radio stations, don't remember which, and there was a kind of one of these shows where they bring in an expert. The expert talks a little bit, somebody calls, talks a little bit more. And the subject was revival. The subject was awakening. And, and this guy was good. He was giving, like, history of the Great Awakening and the Second Great Awakening, incredible times where, where God's church began to just taste again the sweetness of the gospel and compared to everything else. And, and as the church arose and as God's spirit moved, a, a massive ingathering, a massive sweeping into the kingdom of people uh, in America in the first and second great awakening. But they, they asked him the question, when was the last time we had a, a, anything approaching a real awakening? Now, I was, my ears were perked. He didn't even hesitate. He said the last time we had anything approaching a real awakening of the gospel in this land was in the early 80s on college campuses. I went to school in 1980. And then he added, and one of the places of most intensity of this revival was Auburn University. I thought I would just stop the car. All my people were Alabama people. I'm still not quite sure of why I went to Auburn. I wanted to stop the car and cry. Because God loved me so much that he caused that hunger in me. And he got me to the right place. And y'all, he swept me up into his love. And that revival had my name on it. It was an incredible experience as I was just listening right there 30-something years later as a pastor. It's a harvest. Not just a field. Don't be discouraged. Yes, we'll plant. Yes, we'll be rejected at times. Yes, we'll cultivate where other people have planted. But we will harvest. Do you believe that? And all over the world, places that were as hard as brick. You couldn't even get a plow down into it. Hard as concrete. Like Korea, where generation after generation after generation of faithful Christian missionaries just were buried with no converts. Sixty-something percent of that country are evangelical Christians now. They say the country, if we stay on track with current trends, that will be the country with the most evangelical, meaning Bible-believing, grace-believing Christians the country that, that projected to be the country with the most evangelical Christians in 20 years. Does anybody know what it is? It's China. Before you just get to go, get, get really good at hating China, <laughs> and we need some change with China, I realize that. Remember, they kicked the missionaries out of China. 
Can't stop the gospel because it's a harvest, not just a field. Almost a half or, or a little over half, depending on who you talk to, of the, quote, dark continent of Africa is now Christian. It's a harvest. The kingdom is a harvest. Secondly, looking for hands. Hands. What I mean is farm hands. We know what farm hands are. The Bible here calls them laborers. We kind of call them farm hands here. I've been a farm hand before. Not professionals, not super gifted people, just regular, ordinary believers who are willing to be farmhands in the harvest. Nobody's asking you, Jesus included, to be somebody you're not. Nobody's trying to get you to ramp up to some, you're not like some jet on a tarmac with your engine getting up to a speed that you can then take off. If you have Jesus... You are a hand. You are a farmhand. What you don't understand this morning is that Jesus isn't trying to convert you into laborers. You already are. People who have been transformed by the gospel have been sent. There are no alternatives. As the Father has sent me, so send I you, said Jesus in John 20, 21. You people are farmhands in the kingdom of God. You're farmhands, I am too, in the harvest. Therefore, verse 2, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out farmhands, to send out laborers into the harvest. Now look, we know about the twelve, right? Remember, he, he chose his twelve and he named them and he set them apart to be apostles Apostolos, the Greek word, it means the sent ones. They would be the ones that would be sent in his name, in his stead, to lead the church after he was gone. He was the one, he sent them out two by two to begin with. All you got to do is go back one chapter and you'll see all about the sending of the twelve. You'll see all about how the twelve also discovered the power of Jesus Christ. We're amazed. Well, yeah, they're the twelve. Who are the seventy-two? Exactly. <laughs> That's the point. We don't know. Because they were like you. And me. And he sent out, we read, 72 others, our text says. Not the 12. 72 others. Verse 10. We do not know their name. They were ordinary people. He sent them out two by two, quote, to every town and place where he himself was about to go. It's kind of like um, the theory of war. You know, there's a big debate with whether you can win a war with drones. Do you all know what drones are? Those are like unpiloted people in, in the Pentagon with joysticks, flying airplanes, somewhere else in the world, whether you can win the world with drones and fighters and bombers, or whether you got to have, here's the phrase, boots on the ground to actually subdue a city and actually take it over. Guess what? You still have to have boots on the ground. 
We pray that wars will cease. But in the kingdom of God, Jesus is saying, I want hands in the field. I don't want just the radio. I don't want just the internet. I want churches. I want hands in the field. I want laborers in the field. I want boots on the ground. And you're going to be amazed at how this is not just a field, but this is a harvest. You see, it is all, for a big theological word, incarnational. Incarnational. And the word became flesh. God, who is a spirit, God who sits enthroned amidst the cherubim, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God the Son, took our flesh upon him to come and live in our place the life that we could never live before God and to die in our place the death and judgment that we deserve. God became one of us. St. Augustine said, what is not assumed is not redeemed. In other words, if Jesus is not 100% human, then we are not 100% saved. God is the original missionary. The Father sent the Son. God so loved the world, right, that He what? Sent His only begotten Son who took on flesh. You know what? Missions has never changed. From the, the, the moment where... In the fullness of time, at just the right time, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. From that time until now, missions will always be in the flesh. As the Father has sent me, Jesus said, so send I you. If you've received Christ's forgiveness, His acceptance, you know His love, if you have through the finished work of Jesus been adopted into God's family and been given a new life, then you are that same person who must be a hand in the field of the kingdom. There is no alternative. The question is not whether you're going to become one or I'm going to become one. The question is whether you're going to recognize that Jesus has made you one. It's kind of exciting if you, if you think about it. This is like not a decision you have to make. It's already been made. You are a laborer in the field. This is not just a field. This is a harvest. That decision has already been made before the foundation of the world. It is not a matter of if. It is a matter of how many. Take it off of your shoulders. You're not in charge of His harvest. All you're in charge of is to live and speak the message of the gospel and let God by His power do His work. It is really exciting. Verse 3, Jesus told the 72, go. Go your way. I am sending you out. He has called us to the harvest. We can pray for the harvest. We can give to the harvest. We'll find out more about that as we come in through the, the week. As we, Not everybody's going to go to the ends of the earth, but we have people up to the ends of the earth that we love and support who minister in His and our name. But you must go. You must be boots on the ground in the kingdom of God. And going can be intimidating, can it? Yeah. There are people who say, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. There are people who say, well, that might work for you, but it doesn't work for me. There are people who say, what are you calling me not a Christian? That would be the Mississippi answer. What, are you calling me not a Christian? 
It can be a little bit um, uncomfortable. Maybe the highest form of persecution we face in Mississippi is it makes us a little feel a little uncomfortable. Go your way, Jesus said, verse 3, Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Lambs with wolves, that's not a good combination. <laughs> We're the lambs, by the way. <laughs> Let me tell you, believers right now in the Middle East feel this. The wolves have blood dripping from their teeth in the Middle East. To be boots on the ground in the, in the kingdom of love, not coercion, never coercion. You can't make anybody become a Christian. Just love. Just good news. But in this kingdom of love right now in the Middle East, it is dangerous to act out on being a laborer in this harvest field. For them, it's danger, loss of life. For us, it's being a little uncomfortable. And I'm not trying to say that to make you feel guilty. I'm just, I'm, I'm just saying that if you lived in the Middle East, what would be expected of you by King Jesus is to sacrifice your life. That's all I'm saying. There aren't any cushy desk jobs in the kingdom of God. I think in our society where everything kind of does revolve around us and our comfort, we forget that. It's time we unforget it. Your pastor included. This is the other place in the text where it is so encouraging. God really is in charge of this thing. God really will take care of you. Look at verse 4. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals. Greet no one on the road. Go to whatever house you enter. And then he goes into this whole thing about, I'll make sure you have a place to stay. I'll make sure you have what you need to eat. This is my kingdom. I'm sending you out. I will take care of you. God is saying, don't even take your own food. That is how much I will take care of my boots on the ground in the kingdom. It is my harvest. It is ready for you. I am the Lord. When they reject you, Jesus says, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. And just shake the dust on off your feet. Because it's not about you. Because all you are is a witness to the reality of my love. To the reality of the cross to the reality of real grace and real forgiveness. All you are is a witness to that reality. But I love these words. Look at verse 9. Heal the sick and say to them, to the people, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Verse 11. Nevertheless, know this. The kingdom of God has come near. We are to go out saying these words. The kingdom of God is right here. God's reign inaugurated through Jesus Christ. God's salvation coming out through Jesus Christ. Out through His apostles. Out through the 72. Out through all the people in history. All the way down to you. The kingdom of God is right here. That's a good thing for the kingdom of God to be near. We are simply to announce the nearness of the kingdom by living, showing and telling, living and speaking the gospel. Do not take the salvation of anyone on your shoulders. If it's your child, don't do it. I realize you're their daddy, you're their mama, 
and you can make them make their bed, but you cannot make them a Christian. If it is your co-worker, do not take it on your shoulders. It is not your kingdom. It is not your harvest. Just say the kingdom of God is right here. Here's what it looks like. It's cross-shaped, full of grace and truth for thirsty souls. You just live joyfully your life in the gospel and talk good news to people. Like it's good, okay? (laughs) Some people are so intense with the good news, it doesn't feel good to the people listening. you got to see this when you're overwhelmed by missions, even if it's in your own neighborhood. It's God's kingdom. The kingdom of God is very near. You will be surprised, as were the twelve as were the 72, as was the Apostle Paul, you will be surprised at who will come as you just live out loud joyfully the kingdom of God. I ordered a book this week that was recommended to me, just came out, and I'm going to make it a recommendation before reading it because of the recommendation. I'm starting it tomorrow. It's called The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. An English Professor's Journey into the Christian Faith by Rosaria Champagne Butterfield. I think this is a significant book. Um, Miss Butterfield was an English professor at Syracuse University who majored in, specialized in queer theory. That's homosexual theory about how people are and how all this relates. So she was a professor of English who specialized in queer theory. She was a militant lesbian. She got to know a Presbyterian minister and his wife, and over months, just through a series of discussions, she was soundly converted and is a dedicated, joyful follower of Jesus and married now to a believer who is himself a Presbyterian minister. It's an amazing story that uh, she is just now some a few years later, read, uh, writing this book. The kingdom of God is very near. Do you believe that? You know, there's different ways to look at the kingdom of God. Maybe one radical way to look at it, and this is not the way it's portrayed in all the scriptures, so this is very selective, okay? The kingdom of God is kind of like a permeable wall. Can you see maybe a, a, a clear permeable wall that people just get pulled into? Because the kingdom of God incarnationally is brought out to people. And it's permeable. And God snatches people through the gospel through that permeable wall into the joy, into the relief, into the forgiveness, into the Spirit's life, into new life. It's really amazing. Verse 9, verse 11, tell them this when you get out there. The kingdom of God is so close through me. And this message right here at you, does that fire you up? That fires me up, y'all. That's reaching. I'm going to close with a story. It was a lady, is a lady in my church, excuse me, there was a lady who is in my church still, 
the church I pastored in Colorado. Her name is Kay Whiting. Kay Whiting is an interesting person. Kay Whiting uh, was reached with the gospel through someone in that church. Kay Whiting just got snatched into that, just through that permeable wall into the kingdom of God. Kay Whiting just was hungry for the word. Man, if there was a women's Bible study, Kay Whiting was there. Sunday school, Kay Whiting was there. Anywhere the word of God was opened publicly or privately and she knew it was available and she wasn't at work, she was there. She had a huge burden for other people to know Jesus. Primarily, her husband, who hated the gospel. When I say hated, I want you to think capital H, bold, italicized, double underlined, hated. Hated. We're talking strife in the home, hated. We're talking him all the time saying, you're judging me again. She's like, I didn't say anything. She's just living for Jesus. Well, all this strife in the home goes on and on. Kay's just loving on her husband. Kay's trying to just show and tell the gospel in the most meek and approachable manner. One day, there was something. I can't remember what it was. I wish I could remember because it would even be better if you knew the, the exact thing. They made a trade. There was something she was going to do for him. And he said, well, just tell me what you want me to do for me. She, she said, I want you to come to my church one time. He was stuck. Years later, Gary Whiting took me by the hand, led me to the back row of Village 7 Presbyterian Church, went all the way down to about where the pew met the wall. That's how far back he agreed to, to get. All the way, a third into the second section, and he pointed to the exact molecules of wood that he was sitting on when he was dragged to that church five years prior to me never hearing the story until five years later. He said, Joseph, just what I told you about being dragged, he said, when you started preaching, I hated the gospel and I hated you. When you finished, I was thoroughly converted to Jesus Christ and I love him and I love you too. He became a deacon in our church. He is now an MTW, he and Kay are MTW, that's PCA Missionaries. On the border in Mexico. That's reaching. The kingdom of God, you see, was near. It's a harvest. Even with somebody who hates the gospel. It's not just a field. It's a harvest field. Now, you and I are heading into a week of major focus on reaching. And you need to be here Wednesday night. I don't often say, do it. I'm telling you right here and now, don't even think about not being here Wednesday night. You need to be here next Sunday morning. And you need to be here in Sunday school so that the Lord can reach you about reaching. So that you can hear testimonies of God's grace and so the Lord can convince you in your heart even more than he has to this morning. The kingdom of God is near. And I'm happy to be a farmhand in his harvest. Let's pray. Lord, would you...